Hey there, episode 93 of No Guitar Is Safe podcast featuring the amazing Parthenon Huxley, guitar player, singer, songwriter, is brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine, guitarplayer.com, and also by Michael Woodrum, great producer who has a beautiful studio where we recorded today's episode in Southern California, which you can check out right now at woodrumproductions.com. That's W-O-O-D-R-U-M productions.com. Yeah. What's up? This is Jude. I'm hanging out with Parthenon Huxley. Hello, Jude. P. Hux. Hux to his friends. I met Hux on a boat. There were a bunch of great bands on the boat. Hux was playing lead guitar and singing lead for the orchestra. He was just crushing it. And the orchestra, of course, also known originally as ELO2. Keep it up. Where's my groove? Where's my oh, groove? Oh, sorry. <laughs> ELO Part 2. Also known as ELO Part 2 has ties to Electric Light Orchestra, and man, that set list was nutty. Now I'm noodling because you're holding on the fort. <laughs> and of course, uh, Hux here, P. Hux, he's got a new album out called This Is The One, and this it's really one. amazing. And we're gonna get into it, and check out some of those tunes. But first, I made him, I said, man, you gotta play some ELO with me, because I bought this single when I was like eight years old, so let's play it. Awesome, yeah. Thank you for playing that tune with me because I bought that shit on vinyl when I was like eight years old. I walked like 12 blocks up to the record store. It's like I got a a little 45 of that tune. Nice. So I had to make you play that. Thanks for indulging me. It's one of those, that's a turn up song. When you hear it, not turn up, turn up. You just gotta (laughs) turn it up on the radio when it comes on. You guys have the most crazy set list. Now that song is actually the blues form, which I was tripping out on. Like Meaning? It, it's like a 12 bar blues. Yeah. Well, basically. Yeah. yeah it's got the little the minor third there, like but a, yeah. Turnaround's a flat three to the, you know. Yeah. 
never hits a five, I guess, but I was actually thinking it makes a cool blues tune. So will you indulge me and let's, let's try it as a blues. I was doing it up here. Like, cause this part. It's also NBC, isn't it? Do, do, do. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's also Gillette. Anyway, oh, we're sweet. going way back. <laughs> I like it, man. You got all the stuff in your fingers. Of course, I have to ask you. I know a lot of people will probably ask you, what is Groose? Groose! In that song. Uh, the yellow word. Well, I didn't write it, of course, but I think I uh, the word, uh, when they were in Munich, yellow yeah. was in Munich back in the day, because I've only been with the band since 1998, which was, you know, a generation past when they were making the records. Um, they worked in Munich a lot with Mac, the producer, and I think they had German girls in there singing, you know, and stuff like, that thing on Rock Aria, and right. they said, uh, what is Groose? And it's kind of a nonsense word. Nonsense yeah, word. yeah. Uh, so, there it well, is. Well, you know, I've been waiting like 30 years to find out, so thank you. Yeah, it's not, there's not much of a story, really. <laughs> Dang, I'm just so disappointed. That road led, no. Everybody thought, it's, thought it was Bruce, and eventually I think Jeff even, <laughs> back in the day, started singing Bruce, just because that's what everybody thought, but I don't, yeah, know. Yeah. I don't know that that's true. I'm a Bruce Lee fan as well, my friend. So <laughs> I was in the uh, I was in Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. I know. I was in the movie. You you are in Maryland these days, but you you said do your time out here in L.A. I was out here. I didn't like it much. I was only out here 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that happens. Like I swear, I moved here a year ago. It's been 10 years. Yeah, that'll happen like, to you. It's a whirlpool, man. It just pulls you in. Well, it's kind of like what are we doing tonight? And then 10 years goes by. <laughs> exactly, right? man. It's. It's a trip. I mean, there's something to it. That's a whole other topic, but yeah. It's fun being back out here. So actually, you did do some extras, cameos, whatever, in that movie, a couple others? Or well, what? you know, I was out here for 18 yeah. years from like uh, maybe 86 to 2005, something like that. And, um, you know, when you're here, there's yeah. so much low-hanging fruit. Like a friend calls and says, hey, are you busy this weekend? No. <laughs> <laughs> How would you like to be in a Bruce Lee movie? Okay, what do I have to do? You just play, you just be in the band. So it's a scene up at the at the producer's house for Green Hornet, right up in Malibu, and and we're doing uh, California Dreamin' with Bruce Lee's real life daughter or granddaughter singing California Dreamin', and it's Robert Wagner, right. and his one of his buddies shows up in a chocolate jumpsuit. It was Buddy Hackett, and you're just going, I love L.A., you know. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, my friend Winston Watson was on drums. He played with Dylan for five years, and um, it was, you know, just that sort of stuff. You hang out all day, and then finally at three a.m. they say, "Okay, let's shoot." Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, man, totally. That, I think that is what people love about LA. Is you get that. There's that feeling that anything can happen at any moment. Yes. 
Of course, no movie producers or casting directors have been pounding on my door personally, but such is life. There's still time. Plenty of time. I actually did do this uh, pilot of a reality show where, uh-huh, I, where, I, was a, where I was a guitar coach, and <laughs> it never went anywhere, but it, you know, it was real work, and, and we got paid, and I saw how they make these shows and stuff. It was pretty interesting. I dug it. NBC. It's, there's some funny stuff. It's good stories. When you, when you go back east, it's like you have the... You'd have a suitcase full of stories, even if you didn't really even try. Like, uh, I taught Harvey Keitel how to look like he was playing guitar for a movie called uh, 100 Miles to Nashville or 100 Miles to Memphis, something like that. And um, spent, like, a couple of weeks hanging out with Harvey Keitel, which was super fun. Um, I was also in the Flintstones movie. Oh, really? uh, With the BC-52s. I was wearing the leopard skin, (laughs) single over-the-shoulder uh, one piece playing a, a Gibstone bass you were in a leopard skin unitard is what you're saying yeah, pretty much well whatever that hanging thing was oh, with right. the jagged edge on the bottom <laughs> oh man so yep that's, that's cool stuff Pretty, happens yeah stuff does happen I remember somebody called me up when I was uh, doing a lot of work for a musicians institute and they're like we need somebody to be in the band for get him to the greek and i had the perfect guy oh perfect yeah lenny weidgren and uh yeah so it was just the sweetest gig i handed it off to him and he was perfect and he next thing you know he's flying all over the place filming huge concert scenes with russell brand <laughs> for that movie and playing the today show but not really yeah but yeah that's one of those la things just fell in you know yeah i got brought out here in 1986 because i signed a songwriting deal with mca artist songwriting slash songwriting deal and after a year uh, with MCA behind me I got signed to Columbia Records so that's what brought me out was the music obviously and then all this other weird stuff happens just because it does oh, yeah. you know it just you're just sitting there and stuff comes your well, way well you were almost Johnny Depp I heard that he came out here to do music <laughs> I think so you know he plays guitar he sits in still does yeah yeah now what I always wondered because I've never really been truly signed to anything maybe with other bands that seems know. wrong well you know as a solo artist, you're really you've done so much stuff. What what is a songwriting deal? Well, I don't know if they exist anymore, but um, back in the day, MCA was run by a couple of guys named Leeds Levy, who was the president, and Rick Shoemaker was the vice president. And what they wanted to do was recreate the Brill Building vibe. So over here in Universal City, not far from here, uh, there was a four-story building. The suits were on the fourth floor, and in the basement, the parking garage basement, was a 16-track, two-inch tape studio, which is, of course, an incredible format, right? Right. Really fat. And with um, especially all if the, they're paying for the tape, all the best gear, all, all the best gear, um, great mics, great equipment, um, and a rotating staff of engineers who were, who were pro engineers who would moonlight at MCA. So every writer got an eight-hour shift and a $230 budget to hire musicians. And all they said was, we're never coming down there. You guys just stay down there and make the magic, bring it up when it's mixed, and we'll check it out. So it was a really incredible atmosphere, wow. you know, fostering just art. And, um, of course, they're looking for hits, but I didn't learn that till later. <laughs> so you're writing songs just that they can use for No, very- for me. They wanted me to write songs for my album that I, they wanted to help me get. So they, they sign me as an artist right. and say, okay, you just go down there and keep writing stuff for what will become your first album. And now that we're with you, we will help you make the rounds You with my manager, Michael Solomon. We'll go around to all the labels and say, we've already done a co-publishing deal with Parthenon. We think he's the next thing. Um, yeah. Who wants to make a record deal? And I eventually got um, hooked up with Jamie Cohen and David Kahn over at Columbia and 
got signed to Columbia Records. And Amazing. What, what was this? What was a single or anything that you remember from that Columbia well, signing? How long we got? <laughs> you just play a couple bars. Well, the, or something? The, the thing, the, the thing that uh, that uh, maybe we can insert this, but yeah. the, the the thing that was really, a couple memories around this was I was shooting baskets during the day. This was my exercise regime, and I saw my manager and somebody from MCA, Betsy Anthony, walking across the schoolyard toward me, and I'm going, "What are they doing out here?" <laughs> And uh, they said, congratulations, you're a Columbia artist. So I was just super excited because this was a long path from dreaming yeah. about this stuff as a kid up through being in bands in North Carolina during my college days up to being in more bands and more bands and then eventually yeah. thinking maybe I'm good enough to compete with what you hear on the radio. And and then a week later I was lying in bed and I realized nobody knows who I am. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like I'm on Columbia Records, but I didn't have a band that was selling out bars across the country right. i did not have that i did not have a internet following because there was no internet i didn't have i was just signed on the virtue of my music which i was very proud of but i said man how how is this going to happen so i needed a hit right out of the right out of right out of the um, shoot you know and they chose the most weird complex bizarre sort of song i had this song called chance to be loved which is a really involved sort of 80s version of a brian wilson like production right Bells and whistles uh, around. Uh, I mean, yeah. just a just a really a, a neat song, but um, very very produced. And it was uh, I wrote it in my head. I wrote it in Chicago when I was there briefly. I wrote it like a Smokey Robinson song, like everybody yeah gets a chance to be loved. Everybody yeah, but I'm not that kind of artist, so it became this. Everybody, yeah. this, is this big production big, thing. Big Lion King thing? Is this sort of? No. <laughs> so I stood behind it. I mean, I created it. I liked it. But as far as a snappy single right out of the, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't think it was maybe the one they should have. So it did okay, 40, 50 radio stations, but it didn't get a lot of play in New York and L.A., which is kind of the yeah. industry trendsetter. So, you know, if I'd had a college roommate who was a big DJ in New York, maybe, or if I'd had an uncle up yeah. at, the, at the label who, hey, give the kid right. a break, or it's just something, something, something that I didn't have that, because that was my moment, right? Like, yeah. you're on Columbia, they're promoting your album. Yeah. Please, right now, something happened to make this blow up, and it really didn't. So um, they threw a couple more singles out, but... That's kind of all know. part of paying your dues. It is, yeah. Yeah. So or I'm... I'm fairly well resigned to what happened now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's ten albums ago, so I'm still working. You know, so. man, I know ten albums. It's nutty. I'm just really mostly just familiar with your new one. This is the one. Yes. I mean, just the opening vocals on the title track are so hypnotic and powerful, and thank you. You know, they're they're epic and and huge and ambitious, almost like a Pete Townsend or something. I really like that. This is the one. This is the one. You remember when you were young When you thought it would never 
I said, look, I, I sound like everything I've ever heard. You know, I mean, that's just the way it goes. I, I, and I'm completely... We all do. As you get older, you sort of... Re- yeah, you resign yourself to that. Too. Not resign yourself. I mean, I'm, if I'm paying any tribute to the guys who excited me as a 14-year-old, fine. You know, I don't, I don't seek to do it, but I know it's in there. Those voices, no, I've got some guys back in Maryland who are just tremendous singers. I'm like the third best singer in my band. <laughs> uh, a guy named Dave Fennessy on bass and a guy named Ricky Wise on drums, and they're just sensational singers, so it's it's all of us. Um, haven't done that one live yet, but uh, it's it's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of a big chorale opening. Yeah. Now, where did you grow up? Thank you for assuming I grew up. I appreciate that. Uh, I was born in born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Well, that's, that's the best music joke ever, right? So you know the one I'm talking about? No. Where the kid says, Mom, when I grow up, I want to be a guitar player. And she says, well, son, you can't do both. <laughs> that's right. So you said Baton Rouge? Uh, Baton Rouge. Uh, my dad worked for a chemical company, so he was down there for a while. Then we moved to New Jersey, did six years in Jersey. He commuted into New York. Then we moved overseas, and I lived in Greece from fifth grade to twelfth grade. Oh. That completely ruined me, and because uh, cafe life and ancient monuments and sunshine, it was just like, oh, this is how life is supposed to be. That and, must tie into your epic name. Well, I uh, Parthenon Huxley. Come on, that's like the most magnificent name. <laughs> I did that to myself on my thirtieth birthday. Uh, after Greece, I went to school at UNC Chapel Hill and got out got out of town on my thirtieth birthday, literally, and said, okay, my name's Parthenon Huxley now. And moved to New York, did a year there, and then got signed to MCA and started the LA adventure and all that. So interesting. What made you want to start playing guitar? Did you start in Greece? When did you start? I saw the Beatles when I was. Uh, I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. I'm 62, so I was seven years old. You know what? Someone should write a book on every great <laughs> musician I've met. Like seriously, 20 of them. That, that oh, of course, they all started that moment. Absolutely, like, it's nutty. Like great musicians. Anybody who's 60 now. And it's playing music. That's what it was. It's amazing. It's well. It was a cataclysmic event. I mean, it was everybody. I mean, seven. You know, everybody knows the stats. It was like seventy million viewers. No crime. Everybody was glued to their TV set. Even my mom liked it. We were all exciting. And to me, it was like there was this freight train of music. It was like she loves you. And I, I, I remember thinking like, well, that sounds like about ten people singing, and there's all this noise. My, I remember my brother walked into the kitchen and said. Because they were on the radio. I had nobody seen them yet. Yeah. And he said, that's four guys, you know. I went, yeah. no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's four guys making all that music. I said, no, no, it's not. It's, it's 22 or something. And then uh, when they, we knew they were going to be on TV, it was like, what is this going to look like? You know, yeah. what's that going to look like to hear that sound? And there they were, four Martians. Counted off all my loving. And there, it's like, holy shit, they can do this. It's Man, possible. I'm the, I'm the biggest Beatles fan and well, I mean, who knows how many huge Godzilla-sized Beatles fans yes. are lurking out there? But I'm as big as many of them. <laughs> and like, I try to explain to people who didn't see Star Wars when I was like, you're seven years old and you see Star Wars, and we're like, that's how old I was when that shit. Right. Like it was 
life-changing. Yeah. I, I'm sure the Beatles is, is like, I just always, I'm trying to put myself in that moment. Like, what made it so life-changing? It was Star Wars without the spaceships. I mean, it was it was exactly that. Because I remember seeing Star Wars, I was like, you know, in my 20s somewhere. And it was equally like, <gasps> everything's different now. Right? Yeah, yeah. With so the Beatles, different. it was like, rock and roll or music or shouting or whatever it was, was a secret. And then it wasn't anymore. And, and everything shifted. Everything like, because before that, we had the Smothers Brothers, we had Alan Sherman, we had Andy Williams. That's what was being yeah. played in my house. It was like, might as well be the 50s, right? It was yeah. early 60s, same kind of thing. Schmaltzy pop music. And then, yeah, yeah. suddenly there's this <laughs> yeah. punk rock love music yeah. that was just beyond belief. And, and obviously, it was universal. Everybody had the exact same experience. It was like, there's something about sex. I didn't know what sex was, but I knew something was going on. The girls are yeah. losing their minds. The The band looks like girls, but they're not. Everything's crazy. Everything's different. I don't think that can happen again unless aliens arrive and play some music that's like, okay, okay. <laughs> you I thought know. Earth music was cool. <laughs> I'm ready for that moment, too. It just probably happens every hundred years or something. Probably something I guess, you know, like, um, what's the one The one that caused the riot? Rite of Spring, right? Yeah, yeah. That people couldn't stand it. They It, it completely changed yeah. everything. Yeah, I know. Yeah, maybe it'll so, happen again. I hope so. Yeah, I think. Well, yeah. I hope with that I get to witness something like that. I'm happy that you got to witness it. Although you you wouldn't strike me as someone who was even around then. Like you seem younger than that. Not that that's mm, old, but yeah. <laughs> well, music keeps us young, I guess. I think it does. I think it does. Do what you like. You know, do what you love. So let's hear another one of your tunes. You know, I love this uh, shuffle tune that's on there. It's called. And that's when I know, man. It's like twelve eight kind of shuffle vibe. Yeah. I've been every time I make a record I hit myself in the forehead and say I forgot to do a shuffle <laughs> because I love shuffles I don't naturally gravitate toward writing them but every time I play one with anybody it's like oh this is so much fun to play pentatonic guitar over you know it just it just it's hard yeah. to go wrong you know yeah it's just great should we do it you want it a little bit live yeah let's play it okay so it's I remember it. I will remember it now. Two, three, four. When I laugh and I'm by myself, that's when I know you're with me. When I'm down and I need your help, that's when I know you're with me When the sun's the water on the lake When things that fall don't break I never know when 
but I know what it is when it does. Calling up my spine That's when I know you're with me Kinda weird but I'm sure it's fine That's when I know you're with me When the sun hits the water on the lake When things that fall don't break I never know when it'll happen again But I know what it is when it does That's when That's a great tune for the, so it's like ear candy you have a lot of these kind of the, the mix is really juicy and and trucking along you mix it out in maryland or in maryland i work with a guy named mark williams um who i've lived there 13 years now i uh, started having kids and we decided to raise them back east is that um, when you left california when i left la yeah 2004 or five i still can't get it straight right. but um this guy mark williams is a he's got a studio in bethesda um uh, right where I live, and he's just tremendously talented. Pro Tools guy, you know, one of these great yeah. guys. We're completely in tune with each other when we're doing vocals. It's like, I need to get, I know what you need. Boom. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> work fast, and I've done my last two records with him. Um, this one, I think we we both did a really, a better job. Than, I think the last one's fine, last record. I stand behind them all. Yeah. But um, this one has just turned out really delicious, and um, I tried as much as possible to cut the basic tracks live so it had the energy of a performance. And then I do, I love overdubbing I and, and yeah. pouring on, editing out, leaving the best little bits, moving stuff around. I love that process of, of coloring the, the frame, you know? Absolutely. I love this this one little break on one of your tunes. Which one is it? It's like, it's got to sound like the guitar, it's just like the reverb tank or something. It's, there's, oh, I just went over these Is today. it this thing? Um, Yeah. It's on, uh, yeah, that's one. I'm running home to you, babe. Yeah, there's this, there's this um, drum break. That, yeah, running home to you. And it's uh, <laughs> we, we just did this song live the other night, and um, there's a harmony part. So if you go like this, okay. And I go like this: two, three, four. And then it goes, and it's got another yeah. little bit. But we called this our fish audition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of a goofy part. Yeah, but totally. um, uh, there were these drum breaks, and, and I, as much as I wanted it to just be a drum break, Guitar Boy had to play something over each one of them. You know? And there's another one that goes... Wait. Yeah. That kind of thing. But... Yeah. So, how did you get that? But it's, it's so cool because it's the, that first one is kind of spacey and dreamy and kind of like you know yeah. reminds me of the end of Blood Zeppelin song where he's got the reverb tank going mm -hmm. or maybe the plate. I'm running home to you. Yeah, well, I, I just, there's some, you know, there was a there was a period where I, I, was re I really liked dry 70s records, but 
I was kind of too much married to it. And and Verb is, you know, all the dreamy guitar bands now are just saturated in Verb. And, and it kind of reminded me, oh, yeah, you know, Verb has its, a really nice place. And obviously it adds space and, and bigness. So it's a, it kind of became my friend again after I'd kind of sworn it off. And um, so I wanted to have moments that were that were like that, that were drenched in Verb or, and then, you know, yeah. Just makes the whole makes the whole track kind of. I, I like it when there's not a boring moment from A to Z in, yeah. in every song. Like like I, I there can't be one moment that's like ah. Oh. I know. Well, it's amazing. Like <laughs> even your first song, like there's so much in it, and it's only like two minutes and forty two seconds or something. That the title track, and there's just all this different ear candy in there. And I like that because there's they're still basically a pretty simple song uh, underneath yeah. underneath that fun stuff. Oh yeah. You know, it's still just rocking. You know. Yeah. Some cool key changes now tell us tell us about song for james that's song for that's james. probably my favorite song on the record um if i had to pick one just because it was um when i showed it to the guys like i'd been playing it for about a year and a half before we recorded and i was yeah. and i said oh wait it's it's not in four <laughs> four i didn't even realize i've been playing it as a songwriter like yeah hey girl you're living in a dream world you're gonna see it's okay. I said, oh, yeah. I didn't even realize I was in wall sign because then there's a second section that is in four four. Right. But um, it almost sounds like it's odd meter, but it's like three. It's just regular. Yeah, it's just waltzer. It's completely comfortable. That's what's weird about it. like because the song just kind of yeah. poured out, so I wasn't trying to do anything weird or different. And James is my daughter's middle name, so right. it's it's actually for a girl. But it's, it's just kind of a tender song about. You know, yeah. watching your kid grow up, and it's like, look, it's going to be okay. I, you go through these periods as a young woman growing up, and um, I, as a dad, you you know, anything right. that's troubling them breaks your heart. So I just want to say, yeah, so it'll be okay. Oh, what a sweet song. Yeah, I love Thank that you. tune. There's a cool breakdown, like solos or two guitars kind of trading. Right. Great, great tones on there. Are those both you, or what's going on it's there? It's both me. Um, uh, sometimes I like to invite other guitarists to play, and then I start coaching them, and it's like, why am I... <laughs> Right, you know, I'll just do it, you know, because I'm being yeah. annoying. I and like I, I love the idea of come on in and play whatever you want, and then yeah. I'm just you know, guitar pig. So I'll, I'll guitar. <laughs> I wanted to do everything myself. I, I I knew what yeah. I was hearing. So um, so I hear like a clean, dirty, clean, dirty going back and forth. What are the yeah. signal paths for those? Um, it's, it's like little old amps. I've what I've got mostly. I'm not Johnny Gear, but right. uh, but. I, I got rid of all my AC30s because they're too heavy to carry. So I have a Blues Junior that's been modded, and I have a Swart, and um, that's the name of those amps, right? Okay. Swart, <laughs> I think, yeah. And they're both little, cool, little, easy to carry around tube amps, um, small amps. And uh, I played, I played the SG. I played a, a, a Les Paul Custom that I have, that my wife gave me uh, for my 60th birthday. Beautiful guitar. Um, I played an old. Gibson, is there a 345? Is there a 325? Is there a single cutaway, maybe? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I played one of those. Uh, that's Mark's guitar, I don't know. And so, and then Mark has, uh, he's got an AC30. He's got an orange that we did for a lot of, for some of the crunchy stuff. And he's got a really nice matchless. But basically when, when I would, uh, I like my two little amps and we do it in stereo. And, and again, uh, my all my effects are in the ME50, that little blue pedal box. I... I record with it. I just love it. It sounds it just sounds really good through two, a couple of little amps. It's very simple. It's got distortion, wiggle, and you know, and um, modulation uh, and delay. I mean. Mm-hmm. 
dream world One day you're gonna see it's okay Were you using that on the cruise ship gig? The yeah. Big theater? Yep. That's all I carry. Because uh, I... Yeah. Like I, I used to carry, you know, a road case full of pedals and you open up the box, they're all upside down no matter what you do. <laughs> yeah, they've ripped them apart in TSA. And um, and we had a the yeah, orchestra. The yeah, sorry. What led to this was we, we play in South America quite a bit. And we had a $17,000 shipping bill one year. And we go, what are we doing? Why are we carrying keyboards, pedals? Why are we carrying anything? Because now backline companies the world over can supply yeah. you with everything. So... The keyboard players in our band carry laptops, right? You know, and a couple other things. I don't even know what they're doing, but laptops, no keyboards, and use that, use the rented keyboard as a controller. And I, we rent Marshalls for me, eight uh, hundreds, and um, I I put my little effects box in my suitcase, guitar on my back, and we're good. So, and you just run that straight into like the amp set clean, or which or the Marshalls, or do you just use it? Use the Marshall gain. I'll I'll set the Marshall to where I want it, and then I just use my Ami fifty. Basically, there's a it, it mimics this, the Boss Overdrive distortion, the natural. Yeah. I have the most natural distortion I can find. I found the sweet spot. And it just sounds like, you know, a little bit crunchier. Right. And that's really, that and the wah-wah and a little bit of wiggle, like, you know, occasionally I'll flange or use some yeah. rotating speaker, whatever, you know, Leslie sound. But that's about it. That's cool. I don't like to pedal hop live. I like to play. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you were holding court. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you were not chained to your pedal board in any respect at all. You were... And also, it's a, it's a six, sometimes seven-man band. Uh, the guitar yeah. player is not, you're not standing up there alone in, in, in a band doing ELO songs. Yeah. You know, it's uh, uh, when I'm playing the orchestra music, so. Now, isn't it weird to play in, like, I've played on a boat like that. When we played on this boat with you, which was the Moody Blues Cruise, we played two shows outside on yeah. the stage. But the last time I did one of those, we played in the big theater like that, and yeah. it's it's a trip, huh? Because sometimes you feel the boat moving, but it doesn't look like it's moving. It's well, the theater is it looks in the, like a theater. The theater's in the front of the boat. Aha! Uh-huh. So you're getting the waves crashing into the <laughs> backstage. Is really nasty on yeah, those yeah. boats. It's like because you're right at the front, but the upstairs that's toward the back a bit. It's a little more stable. And also, I got to tell you, the theater's more elegant, and nice, and it's a more formal concert setting. Blah blah blah. But uh, you got the lights in your eyes, the spotlights yep. in your eyes. Can't see anything on the deck yeah. during the day. You got 2,000 people or whatever it is, yeah. all hanging off the balcony and in the hot tubs in front of you. It's, it's, it's just this, you know, beach yeah. blanket bingo kind of scene for old people. <laughs> yeah. And it's just kind of awesome. And you can see everybody. You can, you know, you can goof around for them. You know, you can engage them. I just, I love the deck show. Yeah, it's great. And everyone's getting nutty. There's kind of like two groups of people on the boat, I guess, because you got the people there. But then the whole musicians are all hanging out. Those who drink are definitely... <laughs> taking <laughs> taking advantage of the the free flowing booze it's just like a whole scene on the boat for it, sure it's what's great about it is i get to meet guys like you and i'll see you yeah. the next day too i it's not you know how it is yeah. if you're on when you're playing you don't run into anybody unless there's somebody on the bill right? you don't see yeah. the next band coming into town right. you're gone yeah so what's great about the boat is you get to see somebody set and then see him at breakfast the next day yeah. And like, hey, man. You get to see them until you're sick of them. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it's. I think it's just, it's really cool. You start to recognize each other. You can hang yeah. out. And there's not this kind of passing in the, passing, you know, ships passing in the night feeling. It's really cool. That's what I like about it the most. And also, it's yeah. you're in a beautiful part of the world, too. Oh, yeah. It's great. So tell me about this set of music that you get to play with the orchestra. It's pretty nutty. 
I mean, every song is a huge hit. You're like doing like, let's name some songs. You got like Evil Woman. You Evil got Woman, like, Sweet Talking Woman. You got both your women. Um, you got your... Um, all Over the World. All Over the World. You got Showdown, Mr. Blue Sky, She's Do Ya, Don't Bring Me Down, Shine a Little Love for the Disco Thing. Uh, roll over Beethoven for the early cover. You've got um, living thing. A living thing. Can't Twilight get can't, can't get it out of my head. I mean, it's one thing after another. It, it's yeah. we're and and well, you got e this one too. What's <laughs> that one right. called? It's called Fire on High. Yeah, I've been listening to that forever. I said Fire on High. I think it was a. Uh, it was a. Uh, it was. It was used for sports a lot. Like it's just so epic. Here we go. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it's so epic and huge. And, and so I have a horrible confession to make. Yeah. I had this really weird moment at our last show. We're playing all these songs again for the you know thousandth time, and I was just admiring the work while I was playing it. And I said, "These songs are better than the Beatles." <laughs> like I, I actually said that in my head to myself, yeah. and I know that's I know that's not I can't I can't get away right. with saying that. Right, <laughs> I'm not allowed to, yeah. <laughs> and and I can't say that to me and and believe it. However, I said it, and I was thinking it, and I said these songs are amazing and what i love about and i'm not going to get into that argument whether better i just right. i just thought it was i thought yeah. it was it was an incredible thought to have even just to have even if i don't really believe it but what's great about these songs is like there's no okay sitting there in a for a little bit you know yeah. we don't do that you know yeah. there, there's nothing in these songs it's like boom 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 one part after another it's sort of very um I just think of it as Germanic writing. It's very organized. Yeah. I don't know what that Beautiful means. Anything, but the the chords are incredible. They move. They change. the The lyrics are sort of obtuse because he would often write them last. So it, there's not a lot of emotional content that you have to dive into. It's just kind of this strange body of work that really works. That is that is super entertaining, fun to sing, fun to play. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's a hell of a catalog, and everybody who goes says, "Oh, I know that one." Oh, I know that one. Oh, I know that yeah. one. Do you do Xanadu? We do Xanadu, yep. you sing that one? I do. I've got the high part at the end. It's like, and even we're two whole steps down from where Olivia Newton-John did it. We're not on that territory. But it goes. <laughs> Is that me? All right. Yeah, All so right. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at D flat there. Yeah. Yeah, you got a great falsetto, man. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. you want to try that? Do it again. Uh, so it's like. That's awesome. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even gonna try to hit that note that you just sang, but that's that's one of those where you sort of get to that pass out moment, and you hopefully you get through it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> try to do that at a Rocky Mountains and. <laughs> Yeah, 10,000 right. feet at a ski resort gig. Right. <laughs> Deer, um, Deer Valley up above uh, Park City. Yeah, 9,000 feet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like dry. It's also it's dry. Also, it's, yeah. yeah, it's brutal. It's really weird. We just did one 9,700 feet. Copper Mountain, Colorado. 9,700 and 
four feet if you count the stage. <laughs> yeah, even tougher. Yeah, it was. Like, yeah, it's, it's tough on tough on singers up at that up at that altitude. So dry too. Yeah, it's really bizarre. So what what do you think? I mean, you were touching on it a second ago, but what is now that you've gotten to know Jeff Lynne's music so much? What is the principal qualities of, of his genius? What do you love most about Jeff Lynne? This the uh, great leader of ELO and producer. And- well, the writing is just a dumb thing to say, but because it, it, it feels like it's it's not this raw beast that kind of came out of somebody's dark soul or anything like that. It's it's composed music. You know what I mean? It's right. um, I think to say the writing in the highest level of respect. Um, uh, again, he would he would wait until the end to 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 write vocals and lyrics, which is just insane to me. Because to me, it's a it's a hand-in-hand process. I, yeah. I get a vibe, I get a lyric, I get a melody. It all kind of comes at once when I'm writing. But he would do, when you think of it, it's almost like making production music. He would make this magnificent cake yeah. <laughs> and then decorate it with... So to him, maybe, I, and again, I've never even met him. To him, maybe the lyrics and the vocal is just the final icing. It's not, you know, like to me, it's a really key component, you know, the vocal. Yeah. And the and the, and the the meaning of the word, the lyrics are hugely uh they're those are foundational to me to him apparently not so much in some ways i mean he might argue differently but that's what's really interesting for one thing so a lot of times the lyrics i i still don't know what some of the words and can't get out of my head mean you know like they're they're kind of trippy but they work beautifully it's great to sing them you know like sing a little bit like um so pretty midnight on the water you know I saw the ocean's daughter. Really? Right. <laughs> uh, walking on the way she came. Staring as she called my name. You know, like, yeah. whatever that is. Those, those are beautiful words. Very imagistic. Gotta but, hear the hook now. You gotta give me the hook. But I can't get it out of my head. No, I can't get it out of my head How my old world is gone for dead Now really the G And I can't get it out of my head No, no And can't get it out of my head is such a great phrase Oh yeah, he he crushed it with that one Yeah So that's a perfect song And then the great solos You know that all that solo stuff and and every song is in a way kind of like that there's magic moments just one stacked on uh, yeah on top of the other in those songs yeah a lot of strings and stuff great strings and lou clark the string arranger is still in the band and lou is just a beautiful genius string arranger um mick kaminsky still in the band with the violinist the original yellow was just roy wood jeff lynn and bev bevan so drums and a couple of guitar players and then Roy left after one record, so it was, it was basically down to Jeff and Bev as founders, and then they filled out all the other stuff with you know the, yeah. the cellists and the violinists and blah 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 bass players, and so um, the band went through a million different lineups with Jeff and Bev as the stalwarts, and also Richard Tandy eventually once he was on keyboards, I think he was um, he was with right. it the whole time. So, uh, but Lou Clark joined in 1974, so you know just a couple of years after the band started. Started doing the string arrangements. I think Jeff heard him arranging something in the studio next door and asked him to come aboard. And so the first thing he did was El Dorado. Can't get on my head. The El Dorado Overture. Awesome. I, I, Jeff probably 
I'm not sure what the writing versus the arranging process was, but you know, Lou was the one that whipped him into shape, yeah. I think. And then, um, so he was, he's been playing this music ever since. And Mick Kaminsky joined the year before that, 1973, as a 20-something, you know. And, yeah. <laughs> and he's still doing it now with us after it was ELO and then ELO Part Two, and then now the orchestra. So I have this theory, too, that every band had their disco era, if they were kind of around <laughs> then. Like, you can always hear it, and, like, I love that groove that came out. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Dun, 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 wait. It was 929, 929 Backstreet Big Sid. The sun was going down, there was music all around. It was so ray. Yeah, I mean, Jeff wrote some great BG songs. <laughs> oh, that's funny, yeah. <laughs> he's a uh, he's a wonderful thief, too, and he, he wears his influences. Like, he, uh, you know, obviously a Beatle guy. Obviously, I think love that disco thing a little bit, but uh, he he was he's fans of a lot of like from that fifties yeah. into the sixties stuff. And and um, last train to London. What's funny about that song is before I was in the band, ELO Part Two went down to South America, and the promoter's super excited. Oh, we are so grateful to, for you to be down here. You know, we can't wait to hear Last Train to London. Yeah. And they go, oh, well, that's not in our repertoire at the moment. He goes, you have to play Last Train. That's why we brought you down here. You know, you have to learn it. So they, they put it together and played it. it. It was the last song in the set. It's like Hey Jude down there. It's Interesting. insane. Um, it's got that groove. It's got the thing, and they just lose their mind. So that's the last song in our South American set, always. And the same thing happens in Russia with, there's a song called, it's in D minor, saddest of all keys, or yeah. D flat minor, as the case it may be, called Ticket to the Moon. I remember the good old 1980s. When things were so uncomplicated. It's this really kind yeah. of maudlin song. Wow. That is Hey Jude yeah. in Russia. So they freak over that They one. freak over that. We, we were on Russian Idol, which is called Star Factory, and that's the song they did on like the equivalent of American Idol over there. I'm putting all this stuff into a book, by the way. Are uh, you? Yeah, I'm writing a book, um, uh, which is, I'm, I've got probably 80, 80 or 90 pages done. It starts with my audition for the band back in Birmingham in 1998 and kind of set up like this could change my life. You know, this could be a really good thing after, you know, this yeah. music career that's zigging and zagging and you know, like yeah. teetering, <laughs> falling sure. off the road. And uh, but it's really been fun to try to kind of put all this stuff that we like talking about into a narrative. You know, I have a journalism degree, so I, I do write. I mean, oh, I cool. like writing. I've always wanted to. I'll put you um, to work. And it's a really weird process. It's a really man. It's. It's a big album, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a long thing to work on. I've been doing it for a couple of years now, but when you get in a groove, it's really cool. It's really, and there's a lot of fun stories, and, and uh, I also lecture at a music school, so that reminds me of other stories that, that I know which ones the kids like to hear. And, you know, right. and a lot of people still, even though how transparent the music business has come with everybody showing everything, there's still people who, don't, who can't believe it or can't get it, you know, who are fascinated yeah. by it, even though it's, to us, some of it's mundane. But, you know, like... How do they? Why do they do it at NASA? Oh, that's interesting. You know, like, yeah. It's sort of when you look behind the scenes. So I, I think it'll be. I think it'll be a fun read. Hey, I'm right. looking forward to it. Yeah. Cool. Now tell us about this room we're in right now. Where Where are we today? We are um, in the studio of Michael Woodrum in Burbank, and Michael is a is an old friend and a super talented engineer producer, just a fantastic guy. Um, we met back in the mid '90s, and uh, I've 
recorded a, I recorded an album called Homemade Spaceship here, um, which was my weird sort of acoustic tribute to ELO as re, as re requested by Lakeshore Records. They wanted, can you do an acoustic ELO album? I thought, that's a terrible idea because <laughs> the songs are so ornate, you know. And then I started doing, hold on, sweet talking woman. I tried to imagine as like yeah. a Donovan folks sort of album. Anyway, made a record with Michael on that, and um, which was turned out incredible. And um, and about half of one of my later records, he's really really great. Um, yeah. Big shout out to Michael Woodrum. And then you work with E from Eels, right? Yeah, yeah. I've always been fascinated with that character, and this song is really great. I think it's called Hello Cruel World. Mm-hmm. You wrote that or co-wrote it? Or? We did. We did. This was, um, if we go back in this story to the MCA days where they signed me as a songwriter artist, yeah. after my Columbia record didn't do so well, uh, they had this artist that was probably not going to get signed again <laughs> anytime soon. Um, so what happened is that my, my career took one of its many zigs and zags, and they said, look, you've got to, we, we'd like you to start. Have you ever co-written? They said, and I said, oh, yeah, sure. And I, I hadn't. But they said, we'd like you to start co-writing with some people and, you know, generate some, write some hits. You know, let's get some money. Let's get some money into the till. Cause, so, and, which was fine. And E was one of the first ones that MCA found. Betsy Anthony found him. And he was managed by a guy named Carter, who was a, just a fantastic guy. And E, at that time, was living in a garage, above a garage in Atwater Village um, yeah. and recording on four-track cassette. And he had great songs, that was obvious, but no production value to speak of. So the first song we got together to write was Hello, Cruel World. That was the first one we ever wrote. So and this then is one of his It was his releases. first single, first single from A Man Called E, his first record, yeah. His first major label record. Right, before Eels, I guess. Before Eels. Right. He did two records. And the first one... So we, we recorded Hello, Cruel World at MCA. Suddenly he's gone from four-track cassette to 16-track, two-inch tape. So that's really cool. Now, what's it like for him? Here's a guy who's been dedicated to writing all the songs. Suddenly they thrust another person in the room and say, write with this dude, and your right. first song. <laughs> well, I think he was, I think, um, here, the thing about E, it, he, he's a complicated character, but he's what's great about E is he's fast. <laughs> like, I'm kind of a parts generator, like, you know... I can just come up with stuff yeah. all day long. And they'll say, what's that? And I go, nothing. Just, you know, it's just yeah. stuff. They go, oh, that, let's do that, you know. So that's kind of what we do. I'd be playing something. He goes, what's that? And I'd say, nothing. He goes, well, keep doing it. And then we'd build yeah. a song really quickly. He'd say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go sit in this other room for a half hour and write the lyrics. I'm going, awesome. Because <laughs> <You know>, yeah. <laughs> it would take me a year, you know. And um, so he'd come back and we'd knock it out. And I'd say, oh, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. He says, yeah, done. And then we demo it end to end. That's it. So it was like, for me, it was heaven. And for him, I think it was great too because I'm a parts generator. So there was never a shortage of parts. And with him, we finished. So we ended up probably writing 20 songs together. Um, two co-writes ended up on that first album, Nowheresville and Hello, Cruel World. Hello, cruel world. So this is you, a broken heart. But with a view, I'm looking out to face another day The angry mob, the happy mass This birthday kick may be the last I'm looking out to find another way Norman Rockwell, colors fade Oh my favorite 
Yeah, Hello Cruel World uh, made some chart success. It was, I think it reached number eight or nine on the alternative chart. It led to a month-long tour across the country with Tori Amos. And um, and then we wrote a bunch more songs, and I figured, well, that first record went, and tour went pretty well. I'll probably produce okay. the second record, but I didn't. I think what you were maybe referring to was, like, for him, I think he was a little bit felt encroached okay. upon by me. No, I know uh, I have no prior knowledge whatsoever. I oh. just think it'd be interesting for an artist who's yeah. any artist sure. who's been writing, suddenly they just the label well, throws when somebody I, at you. When you I can see it from his viewpoint absolutely, because I'm a song pig too. I I, I I'll co write with people, but I, I I'm really what's in my head dictates what I'm doing. And and um so my albums there's no co writes on on it's all my stuff and I get it. And so I think and my name, since I'd just been on Columbia, and yeah. so I'd had a little bit of, I made a little bit of noise, you know, so my name was mentioned a lot in the interviews and the reviews and all this sort of stuff. And he probably said, well, that's enough. That's enough Parthenon for me right now. <laughs> too many syllables. Yeah, too many syllables. <laughs> that's right. So E became more E, but he kept co-writing. He is a generous co-writer. He will co-write with people a lot. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, it works really well for him. He it, when he writes by himself, he tends to go to his habits, just like we all do. And I think when he expands a little bit, I think it does a, a really nice thing for him. Probably would for me too. Um, so, uh, so there's that. And then you know he's had a great career. Oh, so he yeah. he recorded another album as E, and the label folded right when it was supposed to come out. That was Polydor. So it's like, yeah. oh great, that those five songs I had on that record are not going to go anywhere. And. Um, and then his manager said, look, you should form a band called Eels. It'll be right behind you in the record rack. <laughs> e Genius, to Eels. And it won't be E, which, you know, you just got dropped by, or, you know, unfortunate circumstances with Polydor. So put together Eels with Butch on drums, Butch Norton on drums, and Tommy um, on bass. Um, can't remember Tommy's last name. I can't remember Tommy's last name. But um, and started doing um, showcase gigs and was had more money on the table from from Interscope, but went with DreamWorks, one of their first artists, and is a huge recording artist. You know. Yeah, a great problem to have. Yeah. A little bidding war. <laughs> and then did uh, Novocaine for the Soul was the first single, which was great. And the label said more like that, and he goes, "No, nah, I don't want to be that kind of artist. I want to kind of write my own thing." <laughs> the second album was about suicide, and they said, "Okay." They were very generous with him, though. They they were very patient. He ended up with yeah. a song in every Shrek movie, and he's done. Oh, he's really? done. He's done perfectly well. Yeah, he's done great. That's cool, man. I, I'm like a lot of other artists. Like my favorite part of the process is making the record, yeah. doing the artwork, doing the product, and then the marketing thing is tricky, especially nowadays because I don't have half a million followers and I'm not on tour selling out clubs, except with the orchestra. Uh, we're yeah. selling out wherever we play generally, but but as far as my stuff. Now is the is the time where I've really got to try to get this thing out there because I think it's a really good album, you know, and, and I've really yeah. done, I think people, once they hear it, everybody seems to like it a lot. So I'm just going to, I'm really determined this time to try to make some noise. And yeah. I know there's so much noise out there. It's oh, yeah. a formidable task, but I want to pick my spots and, and try to get this in front of people and, and not just let it sit there because I, it's a... It's a really cool record, and uh, I will say this: it was um, probably two thirds funded by Kickstarter, which is you know one, a great crowdfunding site. Uh, the last two records I've made, I've gotten fifteen thousand plus dollars from Kickstarter. Uh, so my supporters are out there. You know, I've got enough. I've got some really hardcore fans that are completists that have everything I own. And it's really 
really cool. I figure I sort of work for them. Oh, um, and um, But I think there could be many, many more, you know, that would hear these records and go like, oh, who's this guy? You know, so it's kind of... I don't know if it feeds into my if there's if there's a good side to not having a hit that everybody knows and <laughs> you know, right. I'm still trying. That's why the record's yeah. called "This Is the One" because every record I make is "Oh, this is the one, baby. This is the one." You know, so yeah. it's uh, maybe this will be the one. Who knows? And do you ever? Uh, I mean, a person like you could definitely get a lot of mileage from a publicist, of course. But these publicists cost some coin well yeah i, I don't have fifty thousand dollars to publicize this record yeah. but i mean i never know how much it costs i get a lot of publicity emails but i don't know how much they're paying for these publicists well you know it's it just really helps if if yeah. a b c d or e is also happening like there's some sort of notoriety there's some sort of thing or you're on a tv show or something happened you know so, yeah. something that they can put a hook on oh i know who that is you know whatever the interest is all my stuff is always based about the music. Like you yeah. sort of have to hear the record, yeah, yeah. and that's where I hope you will get excited. It's you know, I'm not out there trying to pitch some personal life or some you know interesting concept or whatever. Or I'm not on Instagram twice a day, you know, or five times a day or five times a minute. Probably should be, but mm. you know, that's like a, I, I really like this thing. I, I I like what you do. I think it's great, and um, I'll just do my best to get the word out and and try to get try to get the music in front of people more than more than me you know you know well cool maybe we can jam out on a jam into the sunset on one of your new songs can we play another one yeah is there one that you might like um did we talk about just saying we haven't talked about just saying yeah so um i think the first single from the record will be just saying and it's um it's a peppy little number the chorus the title is repeated 26 times so that's got to be the (laughs) single obviously and um, it's just a really simple rock song that I got in my head one morning and banged it out, banged out an arrangement with my drummer, and it was just there, just sitting real nice and easy. And this kind of played into, um, I, I do teach guitar. Now, I um, I didn't yeah. used to, but I have for like the last 10 years. And, and there's all these moments where you'll teach and you'll say, and you'll show somebody their favorite new song, you know, or favorite song, and it's like, it takes two minutes. Well, that's pretty much it. And I go, why don't I write songs like that? <laughs> know. You know? Why don't, because, you know, well, yeah. that's respect. You know, they basically don't even change keys. So yeah. uh, why don't I write a simple damn song? So that's that's another thing I really yeah, tried cool. to do yeah. with this record was keep the foundations basic. Just like yeah. write a fucking simple hook, you know. And um, Yeah, well, so, I think your record is the best of both worlds. It's simple, a lot of the songs, but there's also layers and beautiful arranging and key changes and stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. That's Kind of what I'm going for. So, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that bass line. So... No, I totally remember it from listening to it. Yeah. (laughs) Quickly, I want to thank you for uh, meeting up today here in sunny Burbank, California. Thank you for having me. Being on the show. Well, this is great. Thank you. Thanks for doing it. Keep it alive to you, 95, my friend. Right on! Okay, so let's do it. This is just saying. Sometimes I'm scared to begin 
Sometimes I know there's no doubt Four or five Just saying, saying Just saying, saying I don't need to get high I just don't want to get low I did enough to get by Thank <laughs> you.